0: So today we continue our spring and summer sermon series called Image of God. Subtitle of that series might be called Theological and Biblical Resources for a World of Me Too and Black Lives Matter. The scripture this morning is Genesis 1, the source of that idea of humankind created in the image of God. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our own image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the wild animals and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created humankind in God's own image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And God blessed them and God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God saw everything that God had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable, and I sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So, as you just heard, the first thing the Bible wants to say about the identity of the human creature is that she is created in the image of God. That's the first thing it wants to tell us. But what's divine about the human creature? Why is there something more of divinity in me than in Dudley or Rudder or Penny? Theologians have been arguing about this for centuries. Some say that the human mind is what sets us apart from the rest of creation and makes us more like divinity. And so it's in Einstein and da Vinci and Hawking that we see divinity most clearly. Others say that it's the soul that makes us the image of God. And so it's in people like Jesus of Nazareth and Francis of Assisi Assisi, that we see God most clearly. Others have said that it's our moral sensibilities that make us more like God. Only human beings know the difference between right and wrong. And so it's in Moses the lawgiver and Immanuel Kant that we see divinity most clearly. And others have said that it's our ability to create works of art in imitation of the creator of everything we see that makes us the image of God. And so we see divinity most clearly in Van Gogh's Starry Night or in Mozart's clarinet concerto others still have pointed out that human beings are the only creatures that laugh and so we see God most clearly in Stephen Colbert and Robin Williams so intellect soul morality creativity laughter maybe all of these things go together in creating the image of God in humankind But the one thing Genesis mentioned when it talks about humankind being created in God's image is this. Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created humankind in God's own image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. The one thing Genesis points out when it speaks of humankind as created in the image of God is the fact that the species is divided into two parts, male and female, more than intellect, more than rationality, more than soul, more than morality, more than creativity. It's the relationality of humankind that makes us the image of God. We are a duality. Not a singularity, and this duality reminds us that we are in and of ourselves a half-finished story, an incomplete picture. We need each other to become together the image of God. The great Swiss theologian Karl Barth spent 100 pages in his church dogmatics talking about this. We are not a singularity, but a duality. And this is a good thing to remember on Trinity Sunday when we remember that God in God's very essence is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God is not a singularity, but a multiplicity. So listen to what the Greek Orthodox Bishop Callisto says about this passage. He says the image of God is given not to the man alone or to the woman alone, but to both together. It comes to its fulfillment only in the between that unites them to each other. Personhood is a mutual gift. There's no true human unless there are at least two humans in communion with one another. And to say, I am made in God's image, is to affirm, I need you in order to be me. In other words, the image of God is not so much upon us or within us as between us in our relationships. You know what's interesting about this creation story from Genesis one Scholars are virtually certain that it was written by a Hebrew slave from the time of Babylonian captivity. And so this idea of humankind created in the image of God comes from a Hebrew slave taking a break from washing dishes and mopping floors for his Babylonian masters. They wanted to tell these slaves, you are nothing but miserable servants to us. But they wanted to say, no, no, no. The story I want to tell about myself is that I am created in the image of God. And it seems to me that this was a precious wisdom way back then in 580 B.C. And it's a precious wisdom even today because the world keeps wanting to stratify us, right, into superior and inferior. Did you see the obituary in the Times on Monday for Dovey Johnson Roundtree? Dovey Roundtree. Johnson Roundtree was born in 1914. She was 104 years old when she died. Her achievements were towering. In 1942, Dovey Johnson was in the inaugural cohort of the Women's Army Corps. She was one of the first women to reach the rank of captain in U.S. Armed Forces. And after the war, Dovey matriculated at Howard University Law School on the GI Bill. She became one of the first black female members of the Bar Association of the District of Columbia. She was also one of the first women ordained by the African Methodist Episcopal Church. She was a giant in the military, in law, and in the ministry. In 1943, she was taking a tour of the American South, recruiting women for the armed forces, and she was wearing her uniform on a bus when the bus driver asked her to give her seat up to a white Marine in her uniform. She refused and got off the bus. That's the message the Jim Crow world wanted to give this black woman from Charlotte, North Carolina. But I knew another black woman from Georgia who's about my age, which means that she came of age in the 1960s during the last days of Martin Luther King Jr. This woman is the blackest of eight children. Her father is a Baptist preacher. He always called her my little black goddess. That's all he ever referred to her as, my little black goddess. Good morning, my little black goddess. Where's my little black goddess? I want you to meet Luann, my little black goddess. And so that was the self-understanding she grew up with in the 60s and the 70s. And now in her adulthood, when she looks in the mirror, all she sees is the beauty of the pitch black night. All she sees is the image of God. It's a counter-narrative to the story the world wants to tell us about ourselves. A couple of weeks ago, Katie talked about Martin Buber, the Viennese Jewish philosopher, who in 1923 wrote a seminal book called I and Thou. It's been almost 100 years. I don't think it's ever been out of print. You really don't even have to read the book to get Dr. Buber's point. I and Thou. There is a Thou world, or a You world, and there's an It world. In the you world, human beings stand face to face and look each other in the eye as equals. There are no stratifications of human dignity and worth. We are equals. There is parity. No castes, no levels of worth, no inferior and superior. People treat each other as the image of God. They remember, in this you world, they remember that if your neighbor is created in the image of God, God has placed something of God's self in her, and therefore she's sacred space. In the it world, on the other hand, this personhood is lacking. One partner in the relationship treats the other not as a person, but as an object. An object for the accomplishment of one's purposes. One day when my son was in middle school I was driving him and his friend to basketball practice or something and they were sitting in the back seat of the car talking about a third classmate and my son's friend says to my son David is such a tool Do kids still talk that way is that still an insult among the young He's such a tool I asked them what does that mean that David's a tool and they looked at me like I was crazy, and that shouldn't be self-evident. So I just guess it must be somebody that's not very bright, not very ambitious, somebody that other people use, right? He's such a tool. So, are we living in a you world or an it world? 85, 85 women have accused Harvey Weinstein of using them as sexual objects. 100 prominent men have been accused of similar crudeness. 332 women have accused Larry Nasser of using them for sexual gratification. At USC, 300 people have complained about a doctor at a clinic. This has been going on for 20 years. Something is wrong. been thinking about Martin Buber lately. He says that in sick ages, the it world is like a swamp. It's fetid and dank, and the swamp thing comes out of the darkness to overcome us. Martin Buber knows about sick ages. He was teaching at the University of Frankfurt on Main in 1933 when Hitler became chancellor. He fled to Jerusalem. He knows about sick ages. But in this you world, Dr. Buber says, when we are touched by a you, we are touched by the breath of eternity. Kathy and I had the most wonderful Easter this year. My daughter and her significant other, Visited us all the way from Washington DC for the holiday and they arrived on Thursday morning touched down at O'Hare. This is Maundy Thursday morning. So they got settled in and Thursday afternoon Maundy Thursday afternoon I'm up in my third-floor study at home working on my Maundy Thursday meditation and Taylor's friend Christian comes marching up the stairs and sits down in a chair and says is this a good time to talk to myself I said not really (laughs) But to him I said sure And I thought maybe he needed a little spiritual or professional advice, but then he proceeds to ask for my daughter's hand in marriage. Maundy Thursday, you could have knocked me over with a feather. No one has ever once mentioned in our family a lifelong commitment between these two. Been together for about 16 months. So I love this kid, and if I had to do this over again, I might ask this question in a different way, but I just had to ask well, we'd be delighted, Christian, but are you confident of a positive response? <laughs> this poor kid, I wouldn't do that if I had to, too late. Well, he was, in fact, confident, and he proposed on Saturday, and she did indeed say yes. So we're delighted of about her choice of a life's partner, and also about the venue for her wedding, which is going to be here in June of 2019. I forget the date, but somebody will tell me and I'll be there. <laughs> so so last week we had this most magnificent tutorial in how to throw a wedding, right? So on Saturday, my wife gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning with a pencil and a fat notebook, and she starts taking notes. Myself, I wasn't so sure I've always been a little indifferent about the British monarchy. You know, you have Winston Churchill (laughs) and Tony Blair. What does the Queen do? So Kathy recorded the wedding for me, and I got up at a reasonable hour and watched the recording and fast-forwarded it over the slow parts. And I have to say, the, the whole thing just reeled me back in regarding the royals. First of all, it was a masterpiece of liturgical craft. Right, This melding of the Anglican and the African-American traditions. It was like a merger of two splendid kingdoms or empires on either side of the Atlantic. And also these real deal lovers pledging their troth to each other. Harry, who is actually Shakespeare's Prince Hal, come to life. And Meghan Markle, intelligent, Charming, articulate, Northwestern University, class of 2003. Miss Markle, it is not appropriate to hug the security detail in the palace. I hug. I'm American. Sue me. (laughs) But I bring it up because of the look on their faces as they glimpsed each other for the first time that morning across the vast expanse of that nave at St. George's Chapel Just pure joy, more than joy, unmerited astonishment at the sight of each other, at the idea of each other. And it was an I-thou moment. I thought of Martin Buber. When we are touched by a you, we are touched by the breath of eternity. It transports us to a higher, deeper profounder realm and if we could take that moment when we first spied our beloved in the church and expand it into the rest of life we will live in this you world C.S. Lewis says there are no ordinary people next to the blessed sacrament itself your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses